Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 2. 94 of the podcast in Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, September 17th, 2020. And if I seem extra fired up, my voice is cracking just 30 seconds into this podcast. It is because we are finally getting back to some sense of normalcy on Wednesday, a little over a month after the Big Ten made what I believe was one of the single dumbest decisions in the history of college sports, they reversed course. They showed up at the college football party, tail between their legs, and said, we want to seat at the table. So Big Ten football is back. I will get into what happened Wednesday, frankly, what happened in the lead-up to Wednesday, what it means, when this, when they'll start, what it'll look like, all of those different things, and of course why this is a great win for the Big Ten, why it's a great win for college football, and what has changed over the last four, five, six weeks that has led the Big Ten to this decision. We will also then transition, by the way, talk about just showing up out of nowhere with your tail between your legs. How about the Pac-12? I would argue that while the biggest story of the day on Wednesday was the Big Ten, the most interesting one was the Pac-12 as there was a very public back and forth between the Pac-12 offices, state health officials, but all of a sudden completely out of left field. It feels like we might get Pac-12 football back too, so fellas, ladies, it's going to feel like a college football season here before before long. We will, of course, after we get into college football, very briefly talk about college basketball. We did get an official start date. I don't know that there's too much news, too much information to share outside of the obvious, but obviously a great day for college basketball. Then I'll wrap with my week three, and it is by technicality week three college football picks. Another light slate this weekend. The biggest game is Miami and Louisville this weekend. I'll probably have Nick Coffey on on Monday's show. For people who don't know who Nick Coffey is, he is a radio host in Louisville. Used to essentially co-host this show with me years ago, or not years ago, but when I just started. But it is the biggest game. I will probably have him on. But a light slate, so the college football picks will be pretty light today. Uh, But we'll get into it. So much to get into, so much to talk about. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, very briefly, I'll be quick. I know you want to get to the meat of the show, but... Make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app. You can do it on Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all of the great things about this show, how you listen, where you listen from, what app you use. Make sure to rate and review the show. Uh, Also, make sure you're following on social. I say it every episode, but it is important. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Aaron Torres pod on Twitter. The new Twitter feed is up and running. And finally, if you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. But the big thing is 
make sure that you're subscribed because college football is back. College basketball is coming. We have a lot of great guests lined up here over the next two, three, four months leading into college hoop season. Some exciting announcements, so make sure that you're subscribed. However you subscribe to your podcast, make sure you're subscribed so shows can be delivered straight to your phone. You don't have to come search for us. And that's really it. And with that said, people, there is no more time to waste. No more time to waste at all because we got Big Ten football back. You want to talk about no more time to waste? The Big Ten has no more time to waste because they've been sitting on the sidelines for five weeks here waiting for their season to get going. And after what seemed like basically two, two and a half, three weeks of will they return, won't they return, what will it look like, when will it look like, we finally got some answers Wednesday morning. I'm sure many of you, a lot like me, I live on the West Coast, so I was waking up right as that news was breaking, but early Wednesday morning, about 8.30 or so Eastern Time, 5.30 or so Pacific, the Big Ten officially announces that it's coming back. And of course, if you've been listening to this show, frankly, if you've been following sports anywhere on any level, it appeared this, this, this was something that it felt like for the past four or five days that it was coming. We have had so many twists and turns in this Big Ten story, but really about last Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it really started to feel like, okay, we might actually get Big Ten football back here now. Um, I was told that some of the teams that, that have their teams on campus were actually telling their guys, guys, gear up, we're going. Sometime in October, we are going late October. And as I've said on the last couple shows, I do think there was some back and forth over when they should start, how they should start, what it should look like. But on Wednesday morning, we finally get a decision. Big 10 football is back. And so very quickly, let's just get into what you need to know about Big 10 football. Obviously, it goes without saying the ACC and Big 12 kicked off last week. The SEC kicks off next week, but Big 10 football is back. So first of all, when do they start? They are going to start playing games October 26th. Do I wish it was a few weeks earlier? I absolutely wish it was a few weeks earlier. Do I wish? Do I think the Big Ten schools and players and coaches wish it was a few weeks earlier? I know for a fact they wish it was a few weeks earlier. As I've said on many episodes of this podcast, Jim Harbaugh said, we can be ready in two weeks. Ryan Day said last week, we want to be playing in mid-October. And so most of these schools have their players on campus, but essentially the reason that it has been pushed back to October 23rd is very simply this. We know that, uh, you know, I think if you follow this, this situation in, on any level at any sport, even outside of the sports world, the big news over the last two, three weeks is that we are in the process of getting some form of rapid testing, okay? So essentially, uh, you will be able to go somewhere, get a test, and in 15 minutes get a result. And obviously, as it pertains to athletics and college athletics as a whole, that is very, very, very important, right? It is very important because when the Ohio State football team has a 2.30 practice, they can show up at the facility maybe, or say they have a 4 o'clock practice, they show up at the facility at 2.30, they get a little swab, the swab goes in a little tube, and by 2.45, they know if they're positive or not. And if they're positive, they don't come into the facility, they go quarantine, they do what they got to do, and if they're negative, they of course come into the facility and are able to practice, play, all of that stuff. And what you're essentially doing is more or less, it's not a perfect situation, but you're essentially creating a bubble in college athletics. We know very quickly who has it and who doesn't. And if you have it, you're not allowed to be around anybody else. They can, of course, uh, what's the term there? Uh, isolate people that have been in contact with you, contact tracing. So if Aaron Torres, the starting linebacker at Ohio State, shows up at the facility and tests positive, they can immediately track down everybody that was within a, a small frame of him, you know, six feet of him. And they can test them and, and or isolate them and make sure that they're safe. And so I bring all this up because that is why we're going to October 23rd. Essentially, the Big Ten wants to get out all the kinks and quirks that come with this rapid testing so that once they ramp up, they don't have to ramp back down. And I will say in defense of the Big Ten, 
We have had a lot of cancellations across college football uh, in the Big 12, a couple games in the ACC, BYU Army was canceled this week. And so essentially what the Big 10 is saying is once we get going, we don't want to start. And I will say this for the Big 10, they essentially have no wiggle room to not start on time and not finish on time because by starting October 19, or October 23rd, they will play an eight-game regular season schedule. And then, or excuse me, a nine-game schedule. And then, of course, the conference championship game will be on December 19th, okay? So uh, December 19th is the last day of conference play. The first game is October 23rd, but it's as I've told you four weeks now. Because of the way the SEC, to go back to the SEC, because of the way the SEC set up their schedule, they pushed back the conference championship game two weeks, it gave the Big Ten more wiggle room, and there was no reason that they should not be should not have been playing in October. Again, they probably should have gotten on the field a little bit earlier, a week or two earlier, but the bottom line is they want to, they want to use and sample and figure out this rapid testing, so they'll be ready to go nine games starting October 23rd conference championship game December 19th the same day as the as the SEC uh, the, the ACC and the Big 12 will be right around that same time but essentially people what you need to know is this is what we were all hoping for okay what we were hoping for as I've talked about in the last two three four episodes and I'm telling you I had some people behind those four walls that know what was going on, and there were two different variables at play. They could start in early to late October and be on schedule with everybody else. They could push back to Thanksgiving. We got what we wanted, which is an October schedule, which ends the same time as everybody else and means that if the Big Ten has a team that is good enough, they will be in position to potentially play for the college football playoff. And I already know there's some people talking about, well, what if they only play eight games? What if a game gets canceled? Should Ohio State only get in if they've only played seven games? Listen, what I will say is that this is a year unlike any in the history of college football, or at the very least for the college football historians, since World War II, okay? If you go back to World War II, you can see that there were teams in that time frame in the early 1940s some teams played three, four, five games. Some teams played seven, eight, nine games. And so that is essentially where we are at with Big Ten football right now. Yes, they're only playing eight games plus a ninth conference championship game. While you have some schools, the SEC will play 10 plus the conference championship. The, the Big 12 and the ACC could potentially play 11 regular season games. The point being, this is a different deal, and so I already saw some people, oh, well, well, if Ohio State only plays this many games, they shouldn't qualify. Well, if they're good enough, they're going to get in. If they're 9-0 and at the end of this truncated season, they are going to get in. And so that is what you need to know. October 23rd is when the Big Ten is going to start, nine conference games, and we'll get going from there. I think the next logical question that I know many of you are thinking or asking or wondering is... Well, what took so long? And what changed over the last couple of weeks? And so this is an important point, and I don't want to gloss it over because I don't want to let the Big Ten school presidents off the hook, but I do think it is an important part of this conversation, which is very simply, what changed over the past five weeks since we canceled college football? Now, if you read the press releases and you followed the loser media that's been a mouthpiece for the Big Ten for the last four or five weeks... What they'll tell you is, is that, oh, you know, we have this rapid testing now, the way that we test is different, the way that this happens is different, and that really the theme that came out of Wednesday was, well, the Big Ten presidents, they, they really trust the medical advisors. Well, that's a bunch of crap, okay? And I'll tell you why it's a bunch of crap. It's a bunch of crap because very simply put this, the Big Ten presidents never cared about what the medical advisor said. And you know how I know they did not care about what the medical advisor said? It's because if you go back three, four, five episodes ago, I talked about a report out of Nebraska in that the call that ended up canceling the Big Ten season, if you remember this, there wasn't a single medical expert on the call. If you go back to that episode, I talk about it at length, but the call that canceled the Big Ten season involved the 14 school presidents and the commissioner, Kevin Warren. It did not involve a single medical expert. It did not involve a single coach, a single parent, a single player, a single AD. 
And so don't give me this crap about, oh, it's about, oh, we were, now that we're comfortable with the, the medical people said, that's crap. That's a bunch of baloney, and the Big Ten knows it. Here is why the Big Ten came back today. The Big Ten came back on Wednesday. The Big Ten came back on September 16th. It will go down as a day in infamy. The Big Ten came back because they knew they screwed up and they knew there was no way to fix it other than to bring back football. They can talk about, oh, it's rapid testing and this and that and our medical. It's they screwed up and they realized there was no way to fix it. And I think really, as crazy as it sounds, what you really have to do, you do have to go back to the beginning of this in early August. And what you have to do is put yourself in the mind frame of how those pompous idiot uh, school presidents, those nerdy guys and girls in tweed jackets with little leather patches on their elbows, when they went about this, we've talked about it, but it is important to remember. Those nerdy school presidents basically came to that podium that day. They did not listen to the medical experts because the medical experts were not on the call. So don't tell me it's about the medical experts figuring things out and they have a new presentation, but no. It's that they did not listen to medical experts, they did not listen to coaches, they did not listen to ADs, and what they very simply said was this, we are canceling football because we want to be the first ones, we want to show the world how serious we take our, our, our protecting our student athletes, and we're going to show the world that we care more than anybody else, and as I've said on this show before, we're going to show those heathens in the South that there are more, there's more to life than football, there's more to life than athletics. And they thought they were going to peer pressure the other three conferences into following suit. And that did not happen. And it has been talked about at length, but that is exactly what happened. I saw a great headline about three, four, five days ago where it said the Big Ten thinks it's the Ivy League, but wants to uh, approach athletics as if it's the SEC. And you cannot have it both ways. And so when you look at the situation in the Big Ten, it very simply comes down to it was a conference that thought they could bully everybody else, and they simply couldn't. And I give so much credit to the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC for holding their ground because it would have been easy to fold up the tents. It would have been easy to say, we can't do this. Instead, they did what everybody should have done, which is take a deep breath, consider everything, be patient, uh, actually listen to your medical experts, and then from there, they made the decision that was best for their conference. And so that is what has changed. What has changed is not the Big Ten's perspective. It's not some amazing medical miracle. What changed is that they realized that there was no way to get out of this. And so as I look back on this Big Ten and we can finally wrap on this topic, we can finally start just focusing on games, focusing on the teams that will actually be on the field, this whole narrative changed not because of the medical experts, but because of the Big Ten community. And it is so much credit to all of the people in Big Ten country that they did not listen to their presidents, they did not accept yes for an answer, and they absolutely refused to take what the presidents were saying at face value. And so when I think back and I think about right now, September 17th, why are we playing Big Ten football? It's very simple. It goes back to the parents, the players, the coaches that refuse to take no for an answer, okay? It, the credit, when we start talking about credit for who, how did we get Big Ten football back, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you where it starts. It starts with the players, the players. It all started the night, even before the season was canceled, that Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, who ironically is still playing at Clemson, those guys came out and said, we want to play, okay? This all started before the Big Ten even canceled the season. It started with those two guys because I was thinking about this on Wednesday when the announcement became official and really essentially what you need to know is that the whole narrative about COVID in college football changed with two tweets, one from Trevor Lawrence and one from Justin Fields. And if you think back to that night, if you think back to that moment in time, you realize that all of the media coverage, all of the articles that you were reading was the kids don't feel safe. They don't want to play. They don't think it's safe. They don't think their coaches are protecting them. Every single day it was a different article. 
And every single day, you had people in the national media, you had people in the local media saying, well, we can't, I mean, if the guys don't want to play and they don't feel safe, like, like, we can't play. And so the credit starts with Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence because the second that they sent out those two tweets, the whole narrative changed. Every piece of media garbage that you guys heard up until that point was proven moot. And I know I've talked about it a lot, but I told you in July and I told you in early August when I was talking to parents of players and when I was talking to players this offseason, they were telling me, dude, Torres, I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to pull this off, but I trust my coaching staff. I trust my medical staff. They are taking good care of my son. And so when Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields tweeted that out, all those stupid BS media narratives went out the window. You couldn't say that the players didn't feel safe. You couldn't say that the players didn't want to play. You couldn't say that it wasn't feasible to play college football because Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, who were on the front line of this thing, came out and said, no, 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 no. We're in this building. We know what our staff is doing for us. We know what our coaches are doing for us. We know what our medical people are doing for us. We want to play. So when we talk about why Big Ten football is returning, first we got to give credit to the players. Let's also give credit to the parents. I know that at times it has seemed some of you have said the parents are too involved. They're talking too much. Let their sons do what they need to do and you stay out of it. No. The parents saw the injustice served and the parents spoke up. And I give so much credit to guys like Randy Wade, the father of Sean Wade, the Ohio State defensive back. Randy Wade was a guest on this show. I give credit to the McCaffrey family. Uh, they had a son who was at Michigan. Ironically, announced he's going to transfer. But they had a son at Michigan. They had a son at Nebraska. And the parents came out and said, we want our sons to have the chance to play. We have faith in the coaching staffs and in the medical staffs. We as parents are signing off on letting our kids play. You know who else I give credit to? The coaches who, as I've said many times on this show, they are speaking out directly or they were at the time against their own bosses. I mean, think about it. When Jim Harbaugh back in August tweeted out the actual COVID testing results from Michigan, what he was saying is, don't listen to my boss, the school president. Listen to me. I have the test right here. I got the receipts, and I'm telling you, it is safe for Michigan football to play. Same with Penn State. Same with Nebraska. Same with Ohio State. And I give those same coaches credit over the last couple weeks. As it became clearer and clearer that it was the wrong decision, as it became clearer and clearer that a mistake had been made and that other schools were successfully pulling it off, and that Central Arkansas and Austin P could play, but Ohio State and Michigan couldn't. Those coaches spoke up. I give so much credit to Jim Harbaugh a week or so ago, two weeks now, saying, we'll be ready in two weeks. Don't use us as a pawn in your media game. You tell us when and where, we will be ready to play. Same with Ryan Day. Last week, don't use me as a pawn, we need to be back on the field October 17th. It is safe. We can do this. Our players trust us. We trust the players to be responsible. Let us play. So I give credit to the players, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, to the parents, Randy Wade and all those guys and girls, and to the coaches. Most importantly, you know who I give credit to is the lawyers. And I've talked about this a lot, so I won't get too much more into it. But the, the minute this narrative changed, if you remember, you can go back to early September. I mean, I'm talking two weeks ago. Kevin Warren said, we are not playing. This is final. Well, what changed? The lawyers got involved. <laughs> and we all know when lawyers get involved, it's not going to end pretty for anybody. Uh, and it is, of course, ironic that the whole reason the Big Ten canceled their season was to avoid lawsuits. And the lawsuits only came when they actually did, in fact, cancel their season. So as I look back on the Big Ten, I really just want to give, I, I think we're here, I guess the best way to put it. We are here because of two separate entities of people. First of all, let's give credit to the players, to the parents, to the coaches, to the lawyers, to everybody for fighting, for saying no, for saying this is unacceptable. We are not going to tolerate this. This is not correct. You're doing our guys wrong. It's silly. It's ridiculous. No, 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 no. So that's one. Credit to that group. And then secondly, as I said a minute ago, Credit to the ACC, to the Big 12, to the AAC, 
to the Sun Belt, to Conference USA, and to the SEC. Because it would have been easy to look at what the Big Ten did. It would have been easy to say, you know what, if we mess this up, we'll never hear the end of it and we could potentially be out of business altogether. But what Greg Sankey did, he drew a line in the sand, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, and he said, every piece of medical information tells us that it is safe to play college football. We need to play, we should play, and we are going to proceed as if we're going to play. And if we get new information that says otherwise, then we're going to pull our kids off the field because we're never going to put them at risk. But it would have been so easy for them to say, you know what, Big Ten's out, Pac-12's out, we're just going to back out too. And instead, the exact opposite happened. The SEC drew the line in the sand, the Big 12 and the ACC stood behind them, and then of course, the three other conferences stood behind them to the point that, by the way, certain media members, I don't want to name names, but it rhymes with Pat 40. Oh, wait, it doesn't rhyme with Pat 40. It is Pat 40. Called them the stubborn six, the stubborn six conferences. Well, as, as it turns out, Pat 40, you were the stubborn one. You were 100% wrong on this. Anyway, I'm just getting off tangent here, but I'm just so fired up we got Big Ten football back. So credit to the players, parents, coaches, credit to the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 for saying we're not going to be bullied by you, Big 10. We're going to trust our medical doctors. We're actually going to talk to them, and we will see where this goes. They have pulled off football. They have pulled off football over the last couple weeks. We're going to get SEC football next week, and it is credit to them that the Big 10 is back today. And as I said, I'm just fired up, and I'm especially fired up, and I will for once, give the Big Ten credit. They got this right. We're playing in October, and Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, whoever you believe is a national championship contender, they will get a chance to prove it on the field. This will not be something that we look back 30 years from now and say, man, remember that team, that Ohio State team with Justin Fields that never got a chance to compete for a championship? That was screwed up, man. We don't have to say that anymore. If Ohio State's good enough to win it all, we will find out. The good news, by the way, is that two players from Ohio State that opted out this season appear to have opted back in, and so it, it feels good. It's just a positive moment, and by the way, I'll give a shout out to a listener of this show, JT, who DM'd me privately and said, the Big Ten coming back is not only a good moment for college football, it's a good moment for our society, and I agree 100% with that sentiment. Um, I think that sports through some of uh, America's most toughest challenging times has been something that has rallied people. Uh, my uncle referenced Teddy Roosevelt talking about the need for baseball during World War II and the need for sport during all the way back in World War II. Of course, more recently, we just celebrated the anniversary of 9-11, September 11th, 2001, we all remember that moment in time when George Bush took the mound at Yankee Stadium and threw that perfect pitch right down the middle. And I do think that in this crazy time that we live in, it's not a perfect moment in time. So many people are struggling. We need sports. We've gotten them almost all back. Now we just got to wait for the Pac-12. And so let's get into the Pac-12 really quick, but I do want to give credit to the Big Ten. It took a while. They should have never canceled in the first place, but they did finally get this right. All right, so switching gears. Switching gears. Let's talk about those silly, silly gooses over in the Pac-12. And they are silly. They're so silly. Um, because while the Big Ten was the big story, bad pun, bad uh, entendre there, the bigger, more interesting story to me, the Big Ten was the bigger story, the more interesting story to me is what has happened in the Pac-12 over the last 24 hours. And if you haven't been paying attention, it's because the Pac-12 has basically just stood in the shadows for the last month and a half, uh, doing nothing, saying nothing, no one protesting, no one rallying, there's no parents protesting in the streets. And a lot of you have asked me why. A lot of you have asked me over the last four or five weeks, dude, we see these parents protesting in the Big Ten at Michigan and in Nebraska and at Iowa and Ohio State. We see the players very vocal on social media. Aaron, why is no one going... You, you live in Pac-12 country, and for people who do not know, I am based in Southern California. I'm from the East Coast originally. I've been in California about eight years. But people ask me, oh, why is no one fighting for the Pac-12? And the reason, honestly, is very simple. It's because, uh, as I've told you on this podcast, it wasn't the Pac-12 that didn't want to play. It was the government officials that wouldn't allow them to play. And the story that I've told 
and the story that, that I think I've really been the only one in the media and the national media talking about is even if the Pac-12 wanted to play, it would be literally impossible because as of Wednesday morning, gyms in California were closed. And because gyms in California were closed, it did not allow Pac-12 football teams in the state of California, also in the state of Oregon, they have their own laws, but it's the same concept, they weren't even allowed in their facilities to practice or to work out. And so when you ask me, well, why isn't anyone fighting for the Big Ten or for the Pac-12? It's because it's not as simple as just going to your school president and saying, let us play. It's going to the school president who then has to go to the governor and say, let us play. And it's funny because I talked about this on the podcast maybe three weeks or so ago where I kind of just said, like, I'm kind of surprised that no one in Pac-12 country has taken this up as a fight in the political realm, not because I think that they, they're going to win some crazy um, you know, political war, but because it's such an easy topic, right? Everybody wants to play football. There's nothing more, foot, nor, more American than football, than high school football, than small school college football, junior college football. And so finally, we got some of that pipe up on Tuesday night, And it came from the Pac-12. And after months of silence, after nobody said anything, let's give credit to the USC football players. And and listen, I know the Pac-12 gets a bad rap, and I think most of it's justifiable. And I think you'll understand even why more so in a minute. But those kids are still working hard in the Pac-12 in the offseason. They're still in the weight room just like they are at Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee and Florida and Kentucky. Those guys work hard. The coaches work hard. And so it has been disappointing, but it has been out of their control. And so I give so much credit to the players at USC because they finally spoke up on Tuesday night. And by the way, what was interesting was they didn't ask the conference commissioner. They didn't ask their school president to reconsider their decision because there was no decision to make. What the USC football players did was they went straight to the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, and said, bro... We're begging you, loosen up your rules so we can get in the facility, so we can practice, so we can play. USC football players said that. Then their offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell, the hotshot assistant coach, he came out and basically said the same. He's like, dude, my guys can't get in the facility. He's like, we're watching our, t- we're watching our opponents play all over the country. We have lifted weights in a tent outside. You can find the tweet. This is true. I'm not making this up. It's not AT exaggerating to be dramatic and controversial. USC literally has taken the weights outside and lifted weights outside because they cannot get into their facility. And so finally, the USC players spoke up. And then finally, when the Pac-12 or when the Big Ten made their decision, the Pac-12 commissioner kind of came out and said, yeah, you know what, maybe I should do something. And so at the time, I gave him credit because pretty early Wednesday morning, after it became clear that the Big Ten was coming back, Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott basically came out and said, yeah, I can't wait to work with local officials in California and Oregon to get our teams back in the facility so we can start thinking about football too. Washington State, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, not as much of a big deal. It's Oregon and California where half of the Pac-12 is two schools in Oregon, four schools in California. So that was kind of interesting, right? It's like, oh, cool, good for, the, good for the commissioner. Good for the commissioner. He has finally decided I am going to press the local government to get this thing going. And then you know what happened? <laughs> this was great. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, came out and said, well, wait a second now. We never told you you guys, you guys couldn't play football. And if you read the fine print, it, it's pretty clear that Gavin Newsom actually knows nothing about football. He's like, yeah, you know, it's just <laughs> there were limitations of up to 12 people um, that were allowed to participate in any group activity. So pretty hard to play 11-on-11 tackle football when you can only get 12 people in one place at one time. And so Gavin Newsom comes out and said, wait a second now. We never said you couldn't play football. Now, your boy AT came over the top rope on social media, and I said very simply, no, 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 no. He never said you couldn't play college football. He said you can't get in the facility to train to play college football. And so it was a surreal, it was like a, a, a Seinfeld episode. I mean, it got even crazier. But essentially, the governor comes out and is like, well, we never said you couldn't play football. 
What you did say, though, Governor, is that we can't get in the facility to train to play football. And so then, listen to this. This is the crazy part. This is why I say it's a bigger story. Because like an hour later, about 5 o'clock Eastern, both the governors of California and the governors of Oregon completely loosen their restrictions, allowing players to get in the facility to train and get ready for a season. So that feels kind of crazy, right? And it is kind of crazy. But here is why it is actually crazy. It's because it's very apparent, if you read the fine print, that no one from the Pac-12 had ever bothered to ask the governor. So the Pac-12, for people who are not following what I'm saying, the Pac-12 essentially has been in a holding pattern. They canceled the season the same day as the Big Ten. That's in early August. And whatever. And they watch the chaos in the Midwest. And they watch Ohio State and Michigan and all these protests. And the players are sitting back saying, well, there's nothing we can do because the governor won't allow us. And so the Pac-12 is just like, dude, we can't. We got our hands up. There's nothing we could do. We can't do anything. We're just waiting for government sign-off. And the government comes out and says, well, crap. The reason we never signed off is because you never asked us. Because you never asked us. And so the second the Pac-12 actually called the governor on the phone and said, can we get a little help here so we can play college football? The governor was like, yeah. Dude, no problem. I wish she had asked a month ago. And so it was a surreal. It was, You know what it reminded me of? It really did remind me of an episode of Seinfeld. Remember the episode of Seinfeld where George and uh, if you have kids in the car, put earmuffs on them. I'll give you a second. Grab those earmuffs. Pull them apart. Get them out of the closet. Earmuff, and I'll count us down to three, and then I'm going to tell the story. But one, two, three, earmuffs. Remember the episode of Seinfeld when George sleeps with the cleaning lady at the office and his boss is like, George, did you, you slept with the cleaning lady in the office on your desk. Like, what, what are you doing? And he's like, me? Cleaning lady? You sure? You sure you got the right guy? And the boss is like, yeah, it was you. And George is like, well, well, well who asked you? Well, who told you? And the boss is like, well, the cleaning lady told me. And George goes, oh, oh, was that wrong of me to do? Was that wrong of me to sleep with the cleaning lady in the office? And that's exactly what the Pac-12 did. Pac-12, for six weeks, was like, we can't play. Government won't allow us. And then the government, they actually called the government. They never thought until Wednesday when the Big Ten came back to even call government officials to try and figure out if they could play. Finally, the government officials were like, dude, yeah, all you had to do was ask. And there's Larry Scott, commissioner, Pac-12, saying, oh, was that wrong that I didn't ask you if it was okay to play? And so I'll tell you this. Let me wrap on the Pac-12. Let me wrap on the Pac-12 because what I would say very simply with the Pac-12 is this is that I am not, and I think you guys have followed me long enough, you know me. I'm not Mr. Like, everybody's got to be fired, right? Like some media, a coach loses two games and they're always oh, got to be fired, always oh, terrible. Oh, you know, that quarterback threw three, three, three interceptions, he's got to be benched. That's not who I am. If anything, I give most of these guys the complete benefit of the doubt. But for years now, we've been hearing how incompetent Larry Scott is, the commissioner of the Pac-12. We have seen Pac-12 football fall completely behind the rest of the conference. We have seen the Pac-12 not win a single college football playoff game since the first game in the history of the college football playoff, which was Oregon against Florida State in 2014. That was the only time a Pac-12 team ever won a college football playoff game. And since then, they have not only not won a game, they haven't even made the playoff in the last three years. And so I bring all this up to just very simply say, like, like the Pac-12 has fallen behind on the field. Off the field, they're a laughing stock. They don't make as much money as they thought. Their TV network essentially went under during this pandemic. They basically fired everybody at the TV network. The commissioner is the highest paid commissioner. He makes more than Greg Sankey. <coughs> Excuse me, I had a cough there. He makes more than Greg Sankey. And, like, I'm not Mr. Fire Everybody, but everyone in Pac-12 country is like, this guy's got to go. And I'll be honest, 
We have Arizona fans that listen to this show. We have UCLA fans, USC fans that listen to this show. I'm sorry, guys, because y'all been telling me how incompetent this guy has been for years now. And I was like, eh, I'm sure he's not good, but I bet he's not that bad. Oh, he's terrible. He never thought to call the government officials so that his teams could practice. So shout out to the Pac-12. They're finally going to get back on the field because the commissioner finally thought, you know what? Maybe I should call the governors. Maybe I should see if it's possible for our leagues to get. If they had just called five weeks ago, the teams could have gotten in the facilities. It is unbelievable. It is incompetence at the highest level. And I cannot describe to you how embarrassing it is for someone that lives in Pac-12 country. I know these coaches. I know these parents of players. I know how hard they work. And it's just embarrassing that the leadership is so terrible. So I don't know what's going to happen with Larry Scott, but he is embarrassing. He is awful. And he has got to go. In terms of actual Pac-12 stuff, you know, I'm telling you this, is that it's about, I don't know, 9 o'clock Eastern on, um, on Wednesday. And I will tell you that there is already reports that the Pac-12 could potentially play as early as the same time as potentially, I guess you would say, the Big Ten. I'm still not sold. I believe there's not as many um, teams that are actually in on campus as there are in the Big Ten. I think some teams still have to come back. Many of them have not gotten in the weight facility. So in theory, we could have Pac-12 football as early as late October. I have a feeling they're going to go at it alone late in the season, late in the fall. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we get all five power conferences back at the same time. I just don't see it happening. All right, a couple quick notes before I go. Listen, I, I would love to make a big, huge, sweeping conversation about the return of college basketball because I love college hoops, and you guys know I love college hoops. I'm on the phone every day talking college hoops with people, coaches, players, parents, whatever. Um, I don't know that there's anything new for me to contribute to the college basketball conversation for people who did not see the news we officially got a start date in college basketball. That is November 25th. So plan your calendars accordingly. That is the Saturday after Thanksgiving, I believe. Maybe the Saturday before Thanksgiving. I can't. I, no, it's got to be the Saturday after Thanksgiving. But it is the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And we got college basketball coming back. And so college basketball, I've said it a bunch, but I just give that sport so much credit because the last four or five months, as the college football powers that be have dragged their feet have not known what to do when to do it what to do we'll just wait I'm sure it'll be better I'm sure cases will go down um college basketball is like no we're gonna get plans together we're gonna get a plan in place we're gonna get some bubbles going we got this going we got that going and so shout out to college basketball because November 25th is the start date now what's it gonna look like I don't think many people know right now what I would tell you is that early on we absolutely are going to get bubbles. Great scoop by John Rothstein earlier this week. John Rothstein says that we are going to get basically most of the big tournaments from early in the season instead of having them at Madison Square Garden, in Indianapolis, in Chicago, and whatever, we're going to get them all in a bubble. So the Champions Classic, which traditionally kicks off the season... That's going to be in a bubble. The Jimmy V Classic, the preseason NIT, the Orlando Invitational, basically the big ESPN tournaments are all going to be in a bubble, and they're going to be in the college basketball bubble that is going to replicate the NBA bubble that was in Orlando. And so we're all watching the NBA. It's all working out really well. And I just give so much credit to the NBA for pulling this off so that college basketball can now do the same. And so I don't think we yet have details. I don't even think people in Orlando know what the full details are. But we are going to get those early season conference tournament or, or regular season tournaments in a bubble in Orlando. And for people who do not know the fields, let me just tell you, just about every single relevant team in college basketball is going to be in that Orlando bubble to start the season. So for people who don't know, Champions Classic is obviously Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, and Michigan State. That's awesome. The Jimmy V Classic is going to have Gonzaga and Tennessee, which is two top 10 teams. Preseason NIT is going to have Arizona, which is always a good team out of the Pac-12. Uh, Texas Tech, which I think is going to be really good this year. Uh, Orlando Invitational will also have Gonzaga and Michigan State, who of course will already be in the bubble for their respective early season tournaments. Um, 
And you just go on and on down the list. I mean, Florida State's going to be there. Seton Hall's going to be there. UCLA's going to be there. Virginia's going to be there. The point is, pretty much because these eight tournaments are all going to take place in the bubble, if you are a fan of a prominent college basketball team, you're pretty much team is going to be in the bubble in Orlando. I think everyone kind of understands right now there will be no fans in the stands for those events. But again, the events are happening. We are getting the Champions Classic, Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, Michigan State. We are getting the Jimmy V Classic, and that is great. And I don't know when it'll all come together and how it'll all look, and I don't think anybody at this point knows what tournaments will go on at what point, but the bottom line is bubbles are happening. And as I told you, as I told you last episode, um, you know, again, just so much credit to the people in college basketball for making this happen. I kind of tweeted it out on, uh, on Tuesday. For people who don't follow me on Twitter, that would be on the Aaron underscore Torres Twitter page. But I got a little scoop of my own on Tuesday, and that is that a massive out-of-conference bubble is being put together for Washington, D.C., Now, I don't know what schools it will include. I don't think it will include the super premier schools like a Kentucky or a Duke or a North Carolina, but I was told that we have a a bubble in Washington, D.C. It's preliminary. Nothing is final, but we're talking about five plus weeks in this bubble. The bubble will go on for five plus weeks. Teams will come in for a week or so. They'll leave a week later. But we're going to get a bubble in D.C. that has dozens of teams. The Orlando bubble is going to have dozens of teams. Um, you know, the, the Sioux Falls I talked about is going to host the battle for Atlantis. So we are getting bubble basketball for basically all of November and early December into conference play. And then from there, we'll get into conference play. And I think conference play is probably going to look pretty much the way that it always does, just probably without fans. I would think at this point we are going to get – say, you know, Kentucky, Florida is not going to be in a bubble. UConn, Villanova is not going to be in a bubble. It'll just be at Villanova, at UConn with no fans in the stands. That is kind of my understanding. And then once we get to league play, it's important to note that again, one, first of all, the calendar works out nicely. So basically all of these schools are going to be off until the end of January. So we're going to have about a month in January where we can play conference games. And then two, beyond that, more importantly, Um, when you have conference-only games, everybody is going to test the same way, and by then we will, in theory, definitely have those rapid tests. So Big Ten teams will feel confident playing other Big Ten teams, knowing that they all test the same way, they all travel the same way, they all stay in hotels the same way. Same with the Big East, same for the SEC, same for the ACC. But again, I don't know that there's some like amazing, incredible talking point to discuss. Other than that, it is a total credit and total testament to the powers that be in college basketball for figuring out a way to make it work. Again, I think it's impossible to say exactly what the season is going to look like come January 15th or February 11th or March 3rd, but early in the season, we're getting bubbles, we're getting games. That is good for college basketball. All right, last little college football thing. Listen, I generally am going to give out gambling picks at the end of the Thursday episode. I don't really have that many for this weekend, Um, and it's because in large part, there's really no big games. I mean, the biggest game of the weekend is Miami and Louisville. Both teams looked really good in their season opener, Um, but I don't think we know enough about either one. Neither played really good competition where I don't think we know enough about either one that I'm going to confidently give out a pick. As I said at the beginning of the show, I think we'll have Nick Coffey on the show later on, on, uh, I guess, Sunday into Monday to, to break down that game. But I don't think there's very much to, to go into there. And so what I'll say is there are three gambling picks that I like. Um, I'm going to tell you what they are. And also, I will eventually get all my gambling picks up by midday Thursday, AaronTorresOnline.com. That's where I put my gambling picks, sponsored by my bookie. So go there, look on Thursday afternoon for the gambling picks. Hate to brag, by the way, gambling picks were 4-1 and one last weekend. I gave you Texas in the first half uh, against uh, UTEP. I gave you Charlotte. I gave you the Miami under, and I gave you uh, the Georgia Tech-Florida State under. So 4-1 and one on the season, and here are my picks for this weekend. I'll have more, but these are the three that I like as of right now. First one, I do like Central Florida playing against Georgia Tech. Central Florida, for people who don't remember, yes, they're the team that claimed they won the national championship two years ago, even though they didn't really win the national championship. Okay, 
They're playing at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's coming off a big win against Florida State, but here's the bottom line. Two things. One, Georgia Tech, I wonder if they can get excited after such a big win. And two, I just don't think Florida State's that good. And Central Florida is good. Are they national championship Alabama Clemson good? No, they're not. But this is a team that was second in the country in scoring last year, returns eight starters off that team I believe on offense. I believe they'll be able to march up and down the field. They win. They're a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. I think UCF wins convincingly. Another game to watch out for, which hopefully will get played. Uh, Georgia Southern is actually a one-and-a-half-point underdog at home against Florida Atlantic. It was actually They were actually a five-and-a-half-point underdog against Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic had a bunch of positive tests. Some guys won't play, but I like Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern is one of these triple-option teams. Uh, Florida Atlantic, new head coach. Obviously, Lane Kiffin has left for Ole Miss. Willie Taggart comes in. There's not very much left on this roster from last year. I think Georgia Southern rolls as a home underdog, so I like Georgia Southern. Money line, Georgia Southern to win straight up. Um, who was the other one? Oh, and I also like Wake Forest against NC State. I know these aren't the sexiest matchups, but Wake Forest, I didn't think they were that bad against Clemson. I think everyone's down on them because they did play Clemson and get crushed. But um, I don't really blame them for the way that they played as much as Clemson is just really good. But I do think they win. They're a two-and-a-half-point underdog at NC State. I just don't think NC State's very good. And so those are the picks. I will have more at AaronTorresOnline.com. By the way, my buddy Austin is doing some NFL picks at AaronTorresOnline.com. And uh, my buddy John Frisella, who's on this podcast, is doing a fantasy sports column every week on AaronTorresOnline.com. So make sure to check it out in addition to all my other writing, podcasts, radio, etc. All right. I think that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys sticking with me for 50 minutes or so and I hope everybody has a great weekend I hope you enjoy college football but it is just a great day man it is great to have the Big Ten back it is great to have the Pac-12 working on something and it is great to have college basketball with a plan in place now for November 25th so yeah awesome day in sports as for this show if you're not subscribed please make sure to do so iTunes the podcast addict app Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions in the new podcast page, Aaron Torres pod, if you want to follow me there as well, that would be much appreciated. That is all for today's show. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And I will be back on Monday. Enjoy college football, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.